Hey there, before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Kuhau Podcast. We hope it encourages you and draws you closer to Jesus as you listen. Let's get excited for this message and let's get ready to hear from God. I'm excited uh, to get into part two of the power of Re. So why don't you turn to your screens or turn to your Bible app. You can open up to... John chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. This is today's text. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll read from here. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Let me pray for us today. Lord, I am just so in awe of you. And I just ask that in this moment you speak to the people here, speak to the people tuning in. That we'll be a church that is no longer phased by the trials of life, Lord. That this message may hit home. And above all, Lord, that you may speak to your people. In your name, amen. So things are opening up, right? Cuomo, Cuomo said 70%. Everybody's going to be, it's going to be like a graduation ceremony. People are going to throw their masks in the air. Uh, Things are opening up, which, you know, it leads me to this question. You know, I'm wondering if, you know when you're at an event and they'd be like, New York City, New York City in the house. Make some noise, New York City. I'm wondering if as a Staten Islander, I should continue making noise. Because I just feel like, at what point do I just accept, you know, that Staten Island, like we're not, you know, we're known as the forgotten borough. Uh, If you ask somebody, like, name all five of the boroughs, it doesn't matter if they're a tourist or they grew up in Brooklyn their whole life, Staten Island will not come up. And if it does, it's always last. It doesn't matter whose list, Staten Island is always the fifth borough on that list, and, it, and that's if you're lucky. Most times, Long Island is on that list. <laughs> Staten Island's not loved. And so I just wonder, like, should I keep making noise, you know? Like, and here's my thing. Like, I, I enjoy Staten Island. I'm, I wasn't re- born here, which is also confusing, because, like, I was born in Brooklyn, but I moved here when I was Brooklyn in the house. Yeah, everybody. That's another thing. Everybody from Staten Island says they're from Brooklyn. I'm serious. I, I had friends in high school. I had friends in high school 
that would say they were from Brooklyn. And it would mess with me all the time because I'm like, Sean, we went to uh, elementary school in Staten Island together. You're from Brooklyn, but I had nap time with you. How does this work? And, and I've, I've realized there's also a hate-love relationship with Staten Island from Staten Islanders. But for me, I've always liked Staten Island, and I've never, sorry if this offends anybody, I've just never been crazy about any other borough. Like, I don't get what it is about the Bronx. My citizen app goes off every time I'm in there. <laughs> just, I just don't get it. Queens is just too far. I don't, Brooklyn, I'm not going to say anything because I know half this church is from Brooklyn. People online will show up outside. Yo, I'm from, I'm from Sunset. What'd you say? See, look at that, look at that, look at that. Um, Brooklyn's all right, you know, I'm not going to. But Staten Island's always been home to me. But, and then don't even get me started on what is considered the real New York City, Manhattan. Manhattan is just, like, expensive for no reason. Like, I went to college there, and, like, I had friends from Jersey who went to the same college, and we would both be so confused. They'd be like, how did I just spend $10 for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And it's like, well, you didn't buy a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. No, no, no. You bought organic peanut spread and great marmalade on top of artisanal grain. <laughs> Somehow I spent $10 for peanut butter and jelly. You know what's something that's never happened to me in, New in Staten Island that's happened to me in Manhattan recently? Honestly, this message might just be more for me to vent. I spent, I'm just going to tell you what happened, all right? It was a cute day. I was working. It was nice out. I found out my kid was off from school, so I'm going to take him to the Nintendo store in Times Square. He loves Nintendo. I go to take him. He's like, I don't want to go there. No, no, no. I hate Nintendo now. Anything to not go, but I'm like, no, no. He's going to love it. He's going to love it. So I go. I travel an hour. I get there, and you know what they say. They say you can never find parking in Staten Island but the, in Manhattan, but the whole way there, I'm like, Psh. I'm blessed and highly favored. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I'm in there. I am confident. And sure enough, like two minutes away I pull from, the, from where I want to go, pull into this beautiful spot, wide open. I'm like, what? People, I'm, I'm for a second, you know, I was like, man, New York City gets a bad rep. I was about to defend it. And then I get out the car. I go to the parking meter. And it says, read the sign. And I don't know how you program a parking meter to even have New York attitude. It's like, because I saw the eye roll and the neck, it was like, read the sign. <laughs> and I'm like, I read, the, I'm arguing with a parking meter in New York City. I'm like, I read the sign. It said no parking until uh, uh, I could park after 6 a.m. And it said, read the sign. So I read the sign again. And it said 6 p.m. I could not park until 6 p.m. I'm like, and right away, right away, like, you know when you know. What, how the rest of this is going to turn out. I did. I know. I, I'm getting back in the car. The kid that I'm with, he's like, we're going home now, right? I'm like, no, I, I got to get you in. We travel to the city. I'm getting you into Nintendo World. An hour later, an hour later, I am still in Manhattan. Not because there's no parking. No, there's plenty of parking spots. You just can't park there until 6 p.m. or 8 a.m. on Saturdays. 
I don't know who invents these rules. Why would you have parking spots that cars can't be there? Don't know. But an hour later. And, and of course, it's only after an hour that I see the parking garage when I'm desperate for parking and dying and like, I need to just get this car because I will not. Because I'm already going through the conversation in my head. If I don't go, because I was, I was already like, I'm just going to go back to Staten Island where it's safe. I'm like, but if I do that, this is what the conversation that this kid will have with his mom. What would you do with Mr. Rubin today? He took me for parking. <laughs> he took you to a park? No, he took me to look for parking. Did you find any? No. So I'm like, you know what? It's an hour later. I'm just going to go into this garage. Let's just see. Let's just, you know when you convince yourself that you're doing something stupid, but it's a good idea? Let's, let's just, that's, that's how it starts. This is how you know someone is trying to convince or someone is in denial of a bad idea. Well, let's just see. Mm, sure enough, I get in there. It is $40 for an hour of parking. $40. At this point, I'm like, well, I was going to get him a gift. I think the gift is parking. <laughs> now I can at least say we found parking. $40 for an hour. I've never spent $40 for an hour of parking in Staten Island. I think the most I've spent is $10. And they give you, they, they say $10, you can have it for the day. For the price of peanut butter and jelly in Manhattan, you can have parking for the whole day. I love Staten Island. But what I want to hone in on was this moment with the parking meter, you know, this aggressive parking meter. You know, I didn't, sure enough, I, I, should, I should give you the ending of this story before I continue so you guys don't think I'm a bad worker. I just left this kid with parking. Sure enough, I get him to the Nintendo world. He's, he's ecstatic. He loves it. He sees Bowser. I get him something. And, you know, I don't regret the experience now. And I didn't regret it on the way. On the way, I was so optimistic. It was only in the in-between, the place before finding parking and after finding parking that I started to regret and lament and consider quitting. And I think in life, that's what happens. See, it's these small moments, because I can tell you when my mood shifted. It was when I read 6 a.m. The second I realized the parking spot that I wanted, I wasn't gonna get, well, that was just my whole day. It, it, couldn't, it didn't even have to be an hour. If I would have found the garage in five minutes, I would have been frustrated. And I feel like in life, when we talk about trials, we focus on the big, big things. But man, do it not be the little things that'll get you. Like it's the thing your coworker said to you or the passive aggressive comment that you know was about you on social media. Like at the very least, tag me. It'd be the little things. If you're row, pray for our pastor. It'd be customer service. Our pastor gets the worst people on the worst day. They'd be the rudest possible. I have sat in a car with your pastor, and he, I hear his order. He says, I don't know his order. Emily, what's his order? Okay, you don't have to say it. <laughs> he says his order. Let's say he'll say, he says, can I get an iced caramel latte? Oh, nice. Okay, we're good. With oat milk. That's where he went wrong. He says, can I get an iced caramel latte with oat milk? What he gets is a mocha latte 
ice. And he says, sir, I, I asked for an iced caramel latte. What should happen next is the guy goes, oh, okay, no problem. I'll go make it for you. Like I literally was with Dyron the other day at McDonald's. They forgot a McChicken. I said, hey, you guys forgot a McChicken. They said, oh, okay. They just gave me the McChicken. That was what my experience was for your pastor. The guy goes, <coughs> all right, I'll make it for you, but you asked for a mocha latte, sir. Pastor go. I, honestly, what I think is, I think Pastor Rowe is on a hidden camera show called How Healed Are You? Because they be testing him. I, I promise. That is the, that is not the, that, that's not where the, the exchange ends. And I promise you he will go into it on detail on his next anecdote. I promise you this is just, he just has a compendium of all the times that someone has been rude to him. And it's always customer service. But it be the little things that will get you. A comment, someone cutting you off, all these kinds of things. And I think from the little things to the big things, the small trials to the big trials, what God wants for us is to cultivate a spirit that endures. And, and in a greater way, and, and getting into our title for today, he wants for us to be people who are resilient. And in, in talking about the power of re, what I want to unpack today is the power of resilience. Traumatized spouses in the room, it's not re-silence. It's like, why do you want me to? It's resilience. And I want to define it, and I want to unpack where, what resilience comes from and how we use it, how I mean it. And then I want to go into biblical resilience, and then I want to get into what is the heart of our message and so first, I want to define it. Uh, I want to break down what it means to be resilient. And using my own words, because I feel like a literal def definition doesn't really encapsulate the way that it's used. If you look it up, it says the ability to bounce back. But the way that we use resilience is someone who has the ability to come back despite the things that they endure. That, that you have the ability to return despite the things that have moved you or have attempted to shake you. And also what we're returning to matters. It's not that you just come back, right? Because if you were broke, someone gives you a million dollars and you're like, look how resilient I was. I came back to brokenness. No, we're coming back to a place of stability. As a matter of fact, I'm going to break down what and actually who we're coming back to in our resilience. But I want us to hold on to that definition. Being resilient means to be able to come back despite the things that someone endures. If you want to personalize it, it's my ability to come back despite the things that I endure. And now what's really cool is when you look at the etymology, the history of how this word came into our language, uh, it, it comes from a Latin word. Uh, that it looks like it is pronounced the same way, resiliens, it ends with an S instead of a C-E. Uh, and what the basic thing that matters for this moment is that it was the present tense in Latin of this other word, resilier. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these correctly, but if you're a Latin major, let me know later. Um, and what's cool is the past tense of this word, resilier, was this other Latin word, resultare. And resultare 
came into our English as this word, result. And I think that's so cool because we don't use result and resilience in that way. If you were resilient in something, you won't say, I resulted. Well, that was my result, right? But I think understanding this shared history allows it to stick in our minds better for what I want to be our guiding phrase for the day. What my hope is that, what, what I hope is and what I believe that God wants for his people is that our result will be resilient. That if we personalize it, my result will always be resilience. And I love that result is the past tense. Because no matter what has happened, whatever the past was, once the present is in the past, the result will be that we were resilient. When you total up the trials that we faced from the little trials to the person saying something disrespectful to us to the big trials to our, our oh, how am I going to pay my bills, that the result will always be we were resilient. And I want to I unpack as we continue, unpack um, biblical resilience. See, when you look throughout scripture... What you won't find is that the word itself, resilience, is not found anywhere um, in the Bible. The word itself. But you will find the concept, right? Like Job lived a life in which he was resilient in all that he experienced. You look at the life of Joseph and you see a person that was resilient in all of the trials that he faced. And all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all the way to the life of Jesus Christ himself, you see someone who was resilient in spite of all the things that they faced. And so you see this concept there, But it's often defined in different ways, or I should say translated in different ways. And that has to do with the way that the, um, the English translators choose to translate based off context, based on, off the language that was available to that time. But you will see synonyms of resilience where you see the concept of resilience. You will see things like endurance, perseverance, taking courage, or steadfastness. All of these break down the concept of resilience. And the Greek word that often gets translated into perseverance is this term known in the Greek, it's this term hupomeno. Hupomeno is a Greek word that, it's like a Greek compound word. It comes from hupa, which means under, and meno, to stay. And it literally translates to stay under. But a better English translation is to remain in. That in spite of all the things that you're facing, you remain in. You stay put. You are unmovable. And you can actually see this in one of the most famous chapters and verses on resilience, James chapter 1. He says in James 1, 2 through 3, he says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But in the Greek, he's saying, hupomene, which is another version of this word, hupomeno. And then he goes on in James 1, 12, he says, Blessed is a man who perseveres, hupomeno. Blessed is a man who who menos 
under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we see perseverance, this concept of resilience, taking life in this word, hupomeno, which describe this concept of remaining. In our English word resilience, we've, we've defined as coming back to, in spite of the things, our ability to bounce back. So I want to take a breath here. I feel like this is, oh, this is the most teachy I've ever done in a preaching. So I just want to give us a brain break. Let's just, can you do that with me? Can we inhale? I love metaphors. I, if anyone knows me, they know that I talk in metaphors. That's one part because I got unhealed trauma and I just feel like I've, no one's ever understood me in my life. It's also one part because I got unhealed arrogance and I just feel like people can't understand me. I'm working on it. Just glad I'm not on how healed are you. But I'm always using metaphors and I love metaphors because they give you this ability to describe a thing that, that is elusive in your vocabulary or in words. It's a metaphor. It's a picture that allows someone to understand the concept that's not easily understood. But what's really cool about metaphors is sometimes they become so powerful that they, they, become, they replace words. And an easy everyday example is, don't none of y'all just laugh. Like nobody goes, ha, 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 I'm laughing. We all describe laughter in like the most, this is the weird part, it's always morbid. Like it's always like, oh my God, I'm dead. Or, or you're just done with the person. I'm done with you. I'm so done with you. Or you're a fool. Or I'm just done. Or uh, you're dying. Or you're weak. Or somehow laughter has moved you to the point of tears because I'm crying. Or if you've lost your ability to, and so you can't even, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Some of you, it's a physical thing. It's like, I can't breathe. My ribs, I can't breathe. Oh, my God, I can't breathe. Some of you guys laugh in different languages. <laughs> and now with the advent of texting, we LOL, which I L-O-O-O-O-O-L, but literally, like, I'm not laughing out, 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 out loud, right? I just LOL. If you ever said LOL? I've done it too, and I've just been like, why did you just say LOL? Why didn't you just LOL? <laughs> and now we're at the point where we could just laugh with emoji. I send you a yellow person with eyes crying and smiling, and that's laughter. Or, and this gets really trippy, it's a metaphor and a metaphor, I send you an emoji skull, which represents death, to say I'm dead. <laughs> and in the lexicon of ancient Greek, the word hupameno, to stay under, to remain, became synonymous with the idea of perseverance. He doesn't say you will develop perseverance. His, the Greek words that he uses, he says you will develop the ability to remain. You develop hupameno. He doesn't say blessed is the man who perseveres. He means it, but the words that he uses to describe that concept are you develop the, uh, uh, blessed is the man who remains under trial. 
And you can see even in me saying it, that would be a bad translation because you could easily read it as like, oh, blessed is the man who continuously subjects himself to adversity, who remains under trial. It's like, no, no, no. Blessed is the person who remains in spite of the trials, remains in their faith. And it makes sense when you think about it. When all is said and done, when the results have resulted, did you stay under? Did you remain? And we use this concept in movies. Like when you see a movie, the dude gets attacked by everything. Everything gets, hits him. There's explosions. The dust settles. And you see that the person is still standing. And you say, that person was resilient. That person sometimes is invulnerable. It's this concept of when all has passed was the result that you're still there despite everything that tried to take you out. And if it is, then you were resilient. And then James says that the more you endure these trials, they test your faith. And testing your faith produces the ability to what? To remain. And this is where it gets really really good. See that word meno, hupa meno. I said hupa means under, meno means stay. That word meno means remain. But it doesn't always get translated as remain. And for perfectly logical reasons. Like I said before, blessed is a man who remains under trial doesn't quite mean to us what they, the authors meant. Sometimes it gets translated as this word, abide. And could you imagine hearing meno from Jesus' mouth? Remain in me, and I in you. Remain in my love. And then years later, James says that blessed are the, is the person who remains. That that. To consider it joy when problems come your way because they develop your ability to remain. Remain in Jesus, I think, is the perfect biblical definition of what it means to be resilient to the believer. That no matter what comes my way, no matter what hits me, I remain in his love. I abide in him. That abiding is the most perfect picture. Abiding in Jesus, no matter what your trials are, small or large, that you abide in Jesus is the perfect picture of resilience. Biblical resilience is when the result of what has passed is that we remain in Christ. And I want to read to you John 15, with the resilient translation. John 15, if we use this idea, remain resilient in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it remains resilient in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain resilient in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains resilient in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
Doesn't this part read so different? For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain resilient in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you remain resilient in me, and my words remain resilient in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain resilient in my love. See, church, I think that the key to becoming a people that are truly unshaken, unwavering, and always able to persevere is understanding who we are persevering in. That our act of perseverance, that if we could get it in our minds, that it's a location. And that we remain in the location of in Christ. That no matter what comes my way, I'm in Christ. No matter what shoves me and pushes me, I rebound to the location of in Christ. And I remain here. That I am resilient to be here. And where is here? It is in Christ Jesus, come what may, come storm pass, I will always remain in Jesus. Not on my own strength, but in his strength. And knowing this, I want to talk about the key areas of our lives that we need to be resilient in Christ in. So four areas that I want to unpack today on manifesting this resilience. They are, one, our identity. That's who we are, who I am, my mind, what I think, my heart, what I feel, and our character, what I do. Identity, I want us to have a, be a church that has a resilient identity, a resilient mind, a resilient heart, and a resilient character. That in all four of these areas, we will be a people that are remaining in Christ. Our mind, our heart, our character, our identity remain in Jesus. And the first one I want to unpack, and this is going to be the quickest one. This is probably going to be my quickest point I've ever had because it's so simple. I think it's simple to explain, but very hard to live out. I've been there. The first one is our identity. Your identity is who you are. But this is not something that you need to be resilient in. You don't need to, I need to be resilient in my identity. No, it's something that we need to understand is resilient. That the second you place your faith in Jesus and you became adopted into sonship, that the second you were, your identity became in Christ there is nothing, listen, until someone figures out how to undo the cross, there is nothing that will ever take your identity. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if in any of these other three areas you aren't resilient. Nothing will ever take away the fact that you are in Christ. And that's it. And now we just have to live that out. And, I, and here's what I have. I have a memory verse to help us sink this idea in. 
that our identity is in Christ. And it's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, the, you know what people say, oh, it's the flesh. Well, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So even when you're in the flesh, you're in Christ. And there's nothing that's going to remove you from that. And so someone with a resilient identity, a resilient identity says this, who I am, who am I? Well, my identity no longer lives in me because my identity abides in Christ. So it's not about me. It's not about the things I've done. It's not about the past. It's not about what people say. It's not about what other people are doing, how far behind I am. I'm 27. I'm 30. I'm 40. I should be here at the, where I am is in Christ. Amen. Amen? You guys can give God a shout of praise. Our mind, we know, we know who we are, but what about what we think? It's so important. Thank you, John. I've been telepathically telling you to bring me this. He heard it in the spirit. I'm going to take 30 minutes of sips right here. The importance of being resilient here is that your mind is so powerful. And if I could give you a metaphor, dreams are like super thoughts. Dreams are so powerful because I've seen dreams cause, cause tension between relationships because someone had a dream that their spouse was trifling. <laughs> Don't talk to me right now. Why? Because dream you? I don't even want to talk to dream you. It, in my own personal life, it's affected my memory. Like, I, anybody here been like, yo, you remember when we did this? We were at Six Flags. And the person's like, no. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I dreamt that. <laughs> I know because the Six Flags turned into a dinosaur. It's crazy. That's actually what I was going to tell you. I was like, yo, you remember when we were at Six Flags and it turned into a dinosaur? Dreams are so powerful. I'm just glad that I'm not alone in that. I really swore that I was like, no, that's me. I'm the only person who remembers dreams as real life. But they're so powerful. They affect your mood. You could just wake up in a bad mood because you had a bad dream. They affect your spiritual life because if you've ever had sleep paralysis, you start naming every name of Jesus in the world. I wake up like this, Jesus! <laughs> the name of Jesus. If you don't know what sleep paralysis is, it's this terrifying thing where you wake up and you can't move your body. But your brain is still sleeping, so it's hallucinating. Yeah, that's what science says. I call it demonios. <laughs> All right. Studies have also shown, and this always stirs up the free will debate, that before a person acts, that their brain has already made the decision they're about to decide. Like, like nanoseconds before you say, oh, I want the blue one, your brain goes... And I'll give you a silly example of this. I was at the beach the other day trying to fold my towel. <laughs> Why is that funny already? If Pastor Rose said that, y'all would have just, it's not about me that you know, oh, Reuben folding a towel, that's funny. Sure enough, the wind is blowing my towel this way. All right, so if I have this napkin, the wind is blowing it this way. And somewhere, and I swear this was my brain, because the whole time it's happening, I'm like, this is a stupid idea. 
my brain goes, if I just fold it this way, I'll be able to, if I just flip it, it'll go this way and I'll be able to fold it. And as my, my brain already decided this, because my, my body's just already doing it, I'm like, well, what am I doing? What am I? It's the silliest thing. If you've ever thrown your keys out while you were trying to throw a cup out, your brain makes decisions for you. And so I think that our thoughts being as powerful as they are and our brain being as powerful that it is, that in the debate for free will, that the only chance we have is in what we do before we have to decide. And there's tons of science here. If you've ever read Switch on Your Brain, Neurogenesis, you can rewire your brain, but you have to rewire it because it's conditioned to take the paths that you've taken. And, and the longer you've lived, the longer you've thought a certain way. And so there's things like mindfulness and thought training because we need to be ready and in control of our minds before the tests and the trials come. And, and the, the question to answer that is this, do our thoughts abide in Christ? Do they remain resilient in him? When we get a thought, is does that thought, and this is like no shame, this is not like, oh, if your thought doesn't abide in Christ, like no, my thoughts stay not abiding in Christ, and I have to like be like, no, let's redirect. If your thought sounds like a thought that Jesus wouldn't have, is it abiding in Christ? If you're dealing with unforgiveness, it's a long process and it's a trial, but there's also an understanding that what did Jesus think when it came to forgiveness? And how can I think that way? How can I surrender this thing right here because it's so powerful, it can convince me of things that are happening that are not actually happening, and dreams are the perfect example. You fall in a dream and you fall in real life, but then you're dealing with machinations and bitterness about an interpretation of a text message that someone sent to you and your body is physically feeling those emotions. And your thoughts have taken you captive. But when we are resilient in our thought life, we take captive of our thoughts. But we don't just take captive of them. We take captive of them into the obedience of Christ. And our memory verse for this is 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance, <coughs> Reuben, raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking Every thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Is my thought life abiding in Christ? If I'm dealing with anxious thoughts, how can I bring them into the abiding nature of Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't deal with anxiety. His thought life is a different kind of thought life. And there's ways to do that. There's studying scripture. There's, I'm, I'm going to actually break down ways to, be, to cultivate resilience in a little while. But are we taking these thoughts captive and having them obey Christ? A resilient mind says, my thoughts are captive to the obedience of Christ. My thoughts abide in Christ. They dwell in him. And the second most powerful thing other than thoughts is emotions. There's people in this room like, oh, but I'm not a thinker. I'm a feeler. 
and emotions, we'll get into the heart, what I feel. I've actually said this phrase before. Well, facts, and I've not said it this way, so I'll say it the way I said it. Facts do not care about feelings. They don't. Facts are facts. They involve truth. But the inverse is just as true. Feelings don't care about facts. They don't. Like if I'm dealing with real fear, it doesn't matter if you tell me, hey, the, the boat that you're about to get on is, is safety. Let me show you all the safety checks. I mean, my emotion is fear and I feel it and telling me a factual statement about fear and it's not going to change the fact that I feel fear. If I'm dealing with an insecurity, the, the facts, you can give someone who, who, who's been, let's say, cheated on and is in another relationship and fears being cheated on. You can give them your location, your text history, your email. Nothing will over this feeling of it's going to happen again because feelings don't care about facts and I think oftentimes we try to confront feelings with facts and you will find that in psychology that's not the way to do it facts can help they can supplement they can face it but really I think the first step is understanding that feelings are a filter they, they are a filter through how we perceive the world and if you have a friend that gets hangry you know a hangry person could be in the same situation, same situation, five minutes, five, five minutes, they're chilling, they're laughing, they're having a good time. They get hangry, <sighs> we've been here all day. <laughs> you get hangry, but it can also manifest itself in darker, more destructive ways. Like what, what about the filter of bitterness and how it affects how you view your parents or the person who hurt you? What about the filter of trauma and how it affects you and how you view your life going forward and how you can't get in that situation? Because every time you try to get into the situation, the feeling of trauma overrides what's happening. Jealousy, rage, they all do the same thing. And here's the dilemma. Here's the problem that I found. My emotions, my heart is constantly under the influence. It's under the influence of food, coffee, my past, my mother, it's constantly under the influence of things that I encounter in my life. And in that understanding, there's also the answer. Because if you're a believer, you, you understand that your filter of emotions have a filter. That I can constantly place my heart under the influence of Jesus. What, what would it look like? And I, I want to do this exercise. What if we imagined this phrase in Christ? What if we imagined what that would look like and feel like as an emotion? What is the emotion of in Christ? And if that is the governing filter, what does my anger look like in Christ? What does my jealousy look like in Christ? What does my unforgiveness look like in Christ? And if I'm constantly surrendering my feelings to Jesus and allowing Jesus to be the filter through which I push my emotions, I promise you, church, that Jesus will filter that. You can't be around Jesus and not want to be like him and not think like him and not love like him. So our, our memory verse for our heart, what I feel, 
How do I develop a resilient heart? Well, a resilient heart says, uh, it, it starts with Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. A resilient heart says, God searches my heart. My heart abides in Christ. And in talking about what Jesus does, let's talk about what we do. Our character. See, what we do, fundamentally, what we do is the only thing that's ever really known about us. I, I can't read Meiling's thoughts right now. Whether she thinks this outfit looks good. But Lisa told me it does. So I, I know what she thinks. I, I can't read your emotions right now. How you guys feel about the fact that we're probably going to go over for about two minutes, I promise. But what you do is what inform me, informs me of what you think and what you feel. And that's why when someone goes, I'm fine, but their actions don't line up with it, you go, are you sure? What we do, what pe we know about people is not based off of their thoughts. It's, it's based off their actions. And the definition of character is pretty elusive to define what is a person's character. But I think it can be summed up in what we do. And it's, good character is just something you know when you see it. feel like church like we have to decide that our character is going to be resilient because I think our character is always under trial and it's always being attacked by this thing called convenience and it's always the small compromises that get us like it doesn't start a struggle with pornography doesn't start with pornography I know I've, I've been there it starts with an inappropriate post on an explore page. Then it starts with looking at that post a little bit longer. Then it starts with actually going to the profile. Then it's, I'm, I'm at the site. And then all of the sudden, what seems like all of the sudden, I, I am, I, and I am and I have dealt with an addiction to pornography. But it didn't start there. It started at the age of 13 when a kid said, hey, do you want to look up these images with me? And it's always these small yeses. Yeah, I'll do that. Sure, I'll, oh, that's, not, that's not that bad. This, this is, you know, oh, nobody's really looking. Or, or, or oh, there was no negative consequence. I didn't get caught. And all of the sudden what has happened, and, and please, it's not this God's going to punish you kind of thing, but what will become of our character? My mom says that I'm too trusting. And I laugh and I get what she means. Because I will give money to someone at just the, I'll pay you back. And she's like, you really just think everybody's going to pay you back. And I go, no, ma, I don't believe that everybody that I give, lend money to is going to pay me back. But I don't want to live a life where I have to doubt whether or not and test if someone's going to pay me back or not. Because here's the decision that I've made in my character. 
I want to live a character. I want to have a character that always chooses trust. And I don't want to pre-distrust people. I'm okay with them holding my trust and breaking the trust and, and all of those things. But I don't want to live a life where I, I, I have to doubt you and you and, and see. And, and I got to start checking people's credit scores before I lend them five bucks. And in simpler terms, the reason is I feel like what it would take to evaluate people on a case-by-case -case scenario when it comes to trust would shift me just a little bit. Not all the way, but just a little bit off access from my character. Years ago, I, I lied in, to my professor's face. Lied to her, got away with it. My friend was like, yo, that was crazy. Lied to her about an assignment that I never did. And, and what I felt in my spirit was, you just took a couple steps out of the character that God has called you to have. Was it sin? Was it evil? Was it wrong? Was it atrocious? No, but it took me just a few steps away from the person God who called me to be. And church, we have to decide ahead of time that I am called to live like Christ. I am called to be like Christ. I am called to be an imitator of Christ. It doesn't matter if it's convenient or not. Man, Jesus forsook convenience because it says he forsook heaven to come down to earth to die for us and all throughout scripture it tells us to be imitators of Christ and I believe Christ is the perfect role model of this Philippians 2 this isn't our memory verse but it's just too good not to share this is Paul telling the believers to embody these traits have this character and then he connects it and says this is Jesus so I want you to hear this with the lens of this is Christ-like character it's not going to be on the screens I, I really just wanted the church to literally just listen to this verse therefore if there is any encouragement in Christ, in any consolation of love, in any fellowship of the Spirit, in any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. And what I love is you hear the areas to be resilient in. Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You ready? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who as he already existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant we translate it as bondservant but really a slave and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. 
by becoming obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. That Jesus' Christ-like character was one that humbled himself so much that he brought him, that it took him to an obedience that led him to the cross. But why was he on the cross? Was for us. And, and that's the that's the Christ-like character. A character that does nothing from selfish ambition, nothing from conceit, a character that considers people as better than ourselves, a character that says, no, you go ahead, a character that is never out for what, what's in it for me, but it's more about what's in it for you and you and you, that Jesus on the cross, he didn't say, I'm gaining anything out of it, he said, they're gaining everything. Our memory verse for this character a resilient character is found in Ephesians 5.1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fra fragrant aroma. A resilient character says this. Someone with a resilient character says this. My character imitates Christ. My character abides in Christ. So when the trials come and you're faced with adversity or the opportunity to get back at that person or to be petty or to do, you, I could, I would, but my character imitates Christ. Literally, what did Jesus do? And to close, I, I want to recap and then I want to get into something. Uh, resilience, if you, summary of today's message, resilience for those who have placed their faith in Jesus is holding on and remaining in that faith despite whatever trials we go through. When the dust clears and all those trials have, have passed, what can be seen is the believer still standing firmly in Christ's loving embrace. No matter what comes our way, we will remain in Christ. Our minds will remain in Christ. Our hearts will remain in Christ. Our character will remain in Christ. And we know, understand, and accept that our identity will always and forever, no matter how many times you fail or how many times you feel like a failure, your identity is not a failure. It is in Christ that our identity will always and forever be in Christ. And it's, it's not easy. We fail. I've failed. In fact, in preparing this message, I'm like, oh Lord, okay. I've, I've, I've spoken to them pre prior and I've said this but I've, I felt the need to do this thing publicly before the church because I've not always been resilient in my mind especially not my heart and not in my character and in a specific way man 2020 was a one some year to be ordained as a pastor but in, in many ways I wasn't resilient in those things towards our pastors Ro, Ro, if you could come up, Lee, if you could come forward. Oh, man. 
I rehearse not being emotional for this. You know, Pastor Roe and Lee in the midst of 2020 were, were steering a ship during a storm. Uh, Pastor Roe never encountered any school that taught you how to pastor a church in a pandemic. And they were really doing their best, which was all that they ever promised to do. They never, when I signed up to be a leader and I accepted the call to be a pastor in this church, they never said, we are going to pastor you perfectly. As a matter of fact, Roe has openly said, oh, I failed you that time. I, I've become a better pastor, but I've, I've, I've dropped the ball. He's openly, we have such pastors who are just open and transparent, and they never gave me this promise. And yet somehow in 2020, I began to expect something from them that, that even God doesn't ask for, which is perfection. And, and the hurts that came, there, 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 were, there were times that I started to become bitter, and my heart wasn't resilient towards them. And I started to have thoughts that weren't in Christ towards them. And even character. Like, like nothing crazy, but like character. Like I, I, on the sneak tip, subconsciously, I, you know, like a, a level of doubt because of the hurt, because of the things that they had even like apologized for, I would still hold on to. Even, even recently, uh, a person was leading us in forgiveness and they said, think of the person you're holding bitterness onto. And I thought of Pastor Roe and an image came to mind and they said, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you the thing that you're holding onto. And the thing that I came to mind, I was like, but he already apologized. But I was still holding on to it. 2021, still holding on to it. Knowing what I know, bachelor's in psychology on forgiveness and healing and all these things my heart was not resilient and I just wanted to publicly I just look at our pastors and I just think they don't deserve that that kind of grudge to be held towards them when when all they've ever promised and committed to doing is their best and man for these slight things that I was holding on to they've done a million and one things that have like just been so crucial to who I am today as I stand before you. And I just wanted to publicly before the entire church say, Ro, Lee, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for holding on to bitterness towards you guys. I'm sorry for becoming distrustful of you guys for, for things that you were human in and things that I even misunderstood and allowed to take a misunderstanding that thought to carry me away and build a fortress of anger and, and jealousy, not jealousy, but bitterness. And, and again, like just from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry, and I love you guys. comes from uh, another speaker on resilience, Ern McManus, and I just heard it and I thought this was perfect. How do we develop resilience? Well, the first one is to be faithful in the small things. 
We just choose to be faithful in the small things. It's the first step in our mind. What are the small thoughts in our heart? What are the small feelings in our, in our, in our character? What are the small actions? We just choose to be faithful in the small things. The next thing is we practice gratitude. We're faithful. We're grateful. We, we practice cultivating a spirit of gratitude. Having grateful thoughts. Having grateful feelings. Every day, I promise you, try it for a week. Just every day, I'm going to take time out of the day to write a sentence or declare a sentence of what, answering this question, what am I grateful for? Grateful people are resilient because they're content and appreciate what is in their hands. They're not striving for more. And the last one is be humble. Be humble. Humble people are resilient. Arrogant people are fragile because arrogant people always are expecting to supersede and over-succeed expectations. And, and when life's trials come, they're broken. But humble people, man, sometimes humble people expect to lose. And they're just happy that they won. They're just happy that they get to be part of, a part of the party. They're just happy that they get to be in Christ. Yeah, the, I lost the house, but I'm in Christ. I remember a, a pastor friend of ours, his house, I think, burnt down or the things in the house burnt down. And his response when we checked in on him was, you know, it, it can all be replaced. We have our lives. And just that level of just appreciation for what he had and that level of humility, that is resilience. That literally in the face of your house burnt down, you can say, I'm, I'm content. I'm in Christ. So we, we are faithful, we are grateful, and we are humble. Now, I want to pray with you as we stand and, and get ready to worship. I want to pray a prayer for those who are accepting the call to be resilient. But I also first want to pray that all of this revolved around abiding in Christ. So I want to pray for the person who's new here or new online that might want to take that first step. Maybe, maybe you haven't abided in Jesus. Maybe you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. I want to invite you into a place, into a journey of abiding in Jesus. And here's the promise. Here's what he says. Abide in me and I will abide in you. I just think that's so beautiful that he will abide in you. And right there where you are, he will come enter into your life and so if you want that we're gonna we're gonna just say on the count of three just so that I can see your hand and know who I'm praying for and if online you can type even in the comments as an open declaration that you want this life with Jesus I'm gonna say one two three you're gonna raise a hand we're gonna put our hands down then I'm gonna pray with you one two down. I, I want you to recite this prayer with me. It's going to be very simple. Jesus, I want to abide in you. Please come into my life. And then I want you to declare this in the prayer. I want you to say, today I am new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for the people 
place their faith in Jesus. The last thing I want to do is pray for our church, and then we're going to get into some worship. Lord, I am in awe of you. I am in awe of who you are and what you are doing in the life of Christ Uncensored. I pray that throughout this series, Lord, us, that these words, the power of re, that they provide an opportunity for us to become closer to you. And I, I pray that today, from this very moment, that our church, when, we, when they see Christ uncensored, they may say that is a resilient church, that just in the face of a pandemic, but, but in more, Lord, that no matter what has come through that church, they have stood firm in love. They have stood firm in the love of Jesus, Lord, that they may look at the people of this church. That there may be a day that, that people may look at us and say, you're from that Kuhau place, right? Yeah, I could tell by how unshaken you are, by how loving you are, how resilient you are. In your name, in Jesus' name we say, amen and amen. Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. Subscribe now and stay connected to all of our latest messages. And if this message really blessed you, pass along the blessing by sharing it with a friend. We pray that you will be given the opportunity to apply this message and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.